Well, good morning, folks, and uh, welcome to worship today, and special welcome to our harvest service. Lovely to see some um, some new faces around the place. Are you picking me up in the mics, guys? Can you hear me okay? That's great. Thank you. So, yeah, some, some new faces and some returning faces. It's really nice to see Margaret Murison back with us uh, up from uh, Cheltenham. So you're welcome. It's lovely to have you back with, uh, with Lisa this morning, Margaret. Good to see you. Um, a few wee announcements um, before we begin. Uh, today's a soup lunch, so if you're able to stay behind and join us for a soup lunch uh, with the proceeds going to the Guild's supported projects this year, you would be very welcome to do so. Uh, Coffee Haven is running on Tuesday from 10 to 12 in the Forsyth Hall, so if you want to stop in for a fine piece and a cuppy and a chat, you'd be very welcome. Kirk Session uh, Wednesday over in the hall at 730 and then just advance notice of the Bruce Davis concert that's on Saturday the 5th of November from 2 to 4 in the afternoon, I think, and the social committee will be having tickets uh, for that soon. But get that in your diary, Saturday 5th of November uh, for Bruce Davis. And then lastly, just a wee word of thanks uh, to Laura, to Marion, to Pat and to Ali uh, for working on the, the harvest display. And a big thank you to everybody who's brought along produce for today. And this is going to be going uh, to support our friends in Ellen Parish Church and their work in their community larder, which is a, a great initiative there. A wee bit like a food bank, but without um, some of the stigma that comes with that. So uh, thank you to everybody who's contributed to that today. So those are all our announcements. So we're going to begin our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 230, Praise God for the Harvest. Let's worship God together. Let's come before God in prayer now. And as we pray, we're going to use a short response in this prayer. When I say Creator God, I'd invite you to respond, we thank you. Creator God, we thank you. Let's pray. Eternal Father, in the beginning there was nothing. And out of nothing 
You formed a universe so vast, so unimaginable that we can only gaze in awe when we stare upwards on a starlit night. And within this universe, you positioned the earth and populated it, provided for it, and designed it to be a place of beauty. Creator God, we thank you. In the beginning, there was just potential. The seed held in the hand, the soil's nutrients, the sunshine's warmth, and the rain clouds gathering. And within the tiny seed, all that is our daily bread lies encoded, primed and ready, should it be planted and allowed to grow. Creator God, we thank you. In the beginning, there was humankind placed within your garden, made stewards, gardener and caretaker of this place of beauty, given responsibilities and the capacity to enjoy. And yet among the seeds that we've sown have been weeds and crops of our own choosing, which have not shown fruit or have spread out and choked the earth. For our part in this process, we ask your forgiveness in a moment of silence. Lord, for your willingness to bear with us and bring us to fruitfulness, Creator God, we thank you. God of harvests, gardener, supreme, you place us at the centre, you feed us, equip us, and having provided for us, look for a different harvest, one of fruitfulness of lives in service to you and to others. So God of harvest, feed us, prune us, harvest us, that in season our lives might bring glory to you. For we ask all these things in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power of Well, boys and girls, lots of amazing produce here this morning, and we've got some bags that people have brought in. We've got all these amazing things to take up um, to the community larder in Ellen, which is brilliant. Now, did anybody, any of you bring a bag in today? Anybody bring a bag in today? Yeah, Andy, stick your hand up if you brought a bag in. Thank you. Thank you. That's great, Ellie. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. What were in your bags? What are some of the things that you brought in your bags today? Can you remember? Yes, Andy. Pasta and pasta sauce, so yeah, so you need flour to make pasta, don't you? And you need tomatoes to make tomato sauce, pasta sauce. Anything else? What else? Yes, Ellie? Spaghetti and beans, yep, excellent. Someone's going to enjoy them. Yes, George, is it Georgia? Right at the back, so you're going to have to use a big voice. Translate for me, Mum, Granny. Pumpkins, did you bring some pumpkins? Wow, brilliant. Yeah, Lucy, what can you remember? Some soup, some soup, brilliant. You brought lots of things to eat. What's your favourite dinner, I wonder? What's your favourite dinner? What would you think? Yes, what would you... you spaghetti. spaghetti. Just spaghetti. Would you like spaghetti bolognese? Is that your favourite? With a nice sauce as well. Yes, Andy. Macaroni. Yeah, you guys are big into the pasta. People of my generation and older, we didn't even know what pasta was. You're so cosmopolitan, you young folk. Just now. Yes, Ellie. Pizza. There we go. Another Italian. We should all move to Rome. We'd be eating like kings. Um, brilliant. Yes, yeah, so pizza as well. You like pizza. Now, here's the thing. Oh, yeah, Lucy, did you want to say one too? 
You like pizza as well. Do you and Ellie like the same toppings, or do you have to have two different pizzas with the things that you like? Mum says, no, I'm not doing that. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. So all of these amazing things that we eat have to come from somewhere, don't they? So the, the vegetables that you put into your pizza or into your pasta sauce, they have to come from somewhere. So where do vegetables come from? Where do the vegetables come from? Do they just appear out of thin air like that? Willow, what do you think? Where do the vegetables come from? The ground, that's right. Somebody has to plant the seeds into the ground and then the plants grow and then they're harvested and they're moved and they're taken to the market or the supermarket and then people buy them. So there's a whole process that gets the food in the ground onto our plates for our dinners. Yeah, that's right. And that's part of what we are so thankful for at harvest time. All the, all the different things that go into taking the food that's in the ground and making sure that it comes to our tables for our food. But there are some problems. What are some of the problems that the farmers have when they are wanting the seeds to grow in the ground? What are some of the difficulties that there might be? Andy's got one. Very good. She's given me two. So birds and cold weather. That's right. So birds can come down and steal the seed. That's right. You quite often see when the farmers kind of ploughed up the ground, you can see lots of seagulls and crows in and, in and about trying to get the worms and whatever else, but they can steal the seed as well. And cold weather doesn't help. I think we've had quite a good... I was talking to Ronald, who's a farmer earlier. He was saying it's been quite a good year for weather for us. So we've had lots of sunshine, but we've also had rain too. So we've, it's been good. Yeah. What other problems can you think of? that there might be with growing things. Would you like me to give you a clue? Okay, I'll give you a clue. I should really have my gloves for this, I think. I'm taking a big risk. Ooh. What is this? What is this? Ellie, what do you think this is? It's, it's not a stingy nettle, but it's certainly jaggy. Yes, yes, do you think you know? You want a good look at it? There you go. It's a weed. It's a horrible big weed. It's a very particular kind of weed. Do you know what? It's a thistle. Well done, Andy, that's right, it's a thistle. You can just see the little purple bits at the top. These weeds were pulled out of my potato patch last night. I have grown more weeds than I have tatties this year. Look at the size of them. Weeds, they grow up. Why are weeds a problem when you're trying to grow stuff? What do you think? Any ideas? Why are weeds a problem when you're trying to grow stuff? Emily, do you think you know? Not sure. Andy? They, they can take over your garden. I can confirm that that's true. Well done. That's right. So weeds can take over your garden. So they take up a lot of the space that the good things can be growing in. And they take the nutrients out of the soil that could be going to the good plants. And if they grow big like this, they can overshadow the little plants and stop them from getting the sun. So that's why, as a general rule, it's good not to have weeds when you're trying to grow things, which is why the farmers often put down stuff to stop the weeds from growing. That's right. So, weeds are not helpful. Important lesson. Good to get rid of the weeds. Now, here's the thing. Our lives are a little bit like a garden or like a field because God wants to grow good things in our lives. Things like kindness or love. What other kind of things do you think God might want us to grow in our lives? What other kind of things do you think? Andy? Being kind and thoughtful of other people. That's a great answer. Thank you. Yes. Anything else you can think of that God might want us to grow good things in our lives? Way up, Carol. Didn't see you. Sharing. Sharing. Excellent. Yet yeah, good answer. So being generous. Yes, Georgia. Respect. 
respecting other people. That's right, treating other people with kindness. There's a, they call it the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. That's a really important one, yes. Anything else God might want to grow? Emily, yes. Not fighting. Excellent answer, that's right. Trying to get along with people. So God wants all these good things to grow in our lives. But we also know that sometimes in our lives, weeds grow, don't they? So what might be some of the weeds in our lives that stop these good things from growing? What are some of the nasty things that we might do? Emily. Very good answer. Yeah, so we can get angry at people and we can be cross with them or nasty to them. That's right. Andy, did you have one? Being unkind to people. And if we're, if we're saying that it's good to be generous, what's the opposite of that? If you're not generous, you're selfish. It's mine. You're not getting it. Right? So in our lives, God wants to grow good things. And those things come through all the time, but also there are weeds that sometimes grow too, maybe selfishness, maybe not being kind. And what God wants to help us with is to pull out those weeds so that we can let the good things grow and we'll have plenty of space to get the sun and to get the nutrients and really make a difference in our lives. Boys and girls, you've listened really well today and you're just going to go to Sunday school now and I think your Sunday school teachers are going to do some more harvesty things with you. And we're going to sing as you leave this morning. And it's a hymn that's called The Earth is Yours, O God. It's number 227. Our reading this morning is taken from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 13, reading verses 24 to 30. And Anne Christie is going to read them. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, 
Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Thanks, Anne. Let's take a wee moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that when you were uh, walking the earth, you told these stories. You started in the places that we know, in farming, in fields, in agriculture, in seed, which were very much the world of your day. And we pray that these same stories, 2,000 years old now, would still have power to speak into our lives as your Spirit takes these words and helps us to reflect on them and to reflect on our lives in the light of them. So hear our prayers, because we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's an old story that's told about two kids waking up on Christmas Day that illustrates the difference between an optimist and a pessimist. The story goes that when they, when they woke up and they went downstairs, all they could find under the Christmas tree was a big pile of horse manure. And the pessimist started crying, this is awful. Mum and Dad must hate us. We must have been really bad this year. This is the worst Christmas ever. And meanwhile, the optimist is tearing around the house, checking behind every closed door. Don't be stupid, she says. Do you not see what this means? There must be a pony in here somewhere. I wonder when you look at the world and the way the world is, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Do you tend to see the best in situations and people or has life trained you to be wary and not expect too much from your fellow human beings? And who says it's a binary choice anyway, you might ask? I guess that many of us would find ourselves somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, neither optimists nor pessimists, but realists. The world is undeniably beautiful, but in many ways it's also clearly broken. And you don't have to look very far to see the truth of that. Go for a paddle at Balmedy Beach someday and you'll get to feel the sand between your toes and fill your lungs with fresh sea air and run your fingers through the marum grass and the dunes. But you'll also have to avoid stepping on dog poo and broken glass and you'll have to walk past the disposable barbecues and the rubbish that idiots have left lying behind them on the beach. This is our world. Good and bad, side by side, cheek by jowl. And if we're honest, we know that we don't even have to look beyond the truth of our own hearts for evidence that beauty and brokenness are often found living in the same neighbourhood. And that's what today's parable is about the conundrum of the presence of both good and evil in our world and the question of what God is doing about it. A farmer had a field, Jesus says, ploughed and ready to produce good grain. But in the night, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat that had been sown. When the wheat came up, so did the weeds. 
and the servants who worked in the field came to the farmer. Didn't you sow good seed, they asked. Look at this. Your field has weeds growing in it. Later on, Jesus would say that that field is like the world. It's full of weeds. It's not the way it was meant to be. Now, nobody needs to tell you that we live in a world like that. You read the papers, you watch the news, good and bad, side by side, all the time. But if you're anything like me, every now and again, you find yourself shaking your head at the enormous difference between the way you feel the world ought to be and the way it actually is. And most of the time, that can leave you feeling quite overwhelmed. What on earth can we do about it? Well, at one level, as individuals, we can keep doing the things that try to make for a better world. Putting our faith into practice. Trying to be half-decent human beings. Paying our taxes trying to get along with people, remembering to turn the lights off, not just so we can save money, but so we can help save the planet. But there are times when notions of taking more radical, maybe even drastic action can seem very appealing in the light of blatant wrongdoing. As a family, we have a wee flat that we rent out. Our last tenant has disappeared off into the ether, leaving our garage full of rubbish and broken bits of machinery that are so big it's going to take several people to lift them and a good-sized van to shift them. And that is a problem that we have not worked out how to solve yet. And I have to confess, if I find out the tenant's new address, and I am looking, There's a part of me that would quite like to drive that van up to the door and leave all of that rubbish on their front doorstep. I wish I could say I was better than that, but I'm not. Now, I won't do it, but I've certainly entertained the thought. Sometimes we just want to take things into our own hands. We want to dispense a bit of summary justice where we feel it's needed. And in our story, that's what the farmer's servers want to do. They are rightly annoyed that these weeds are there and they want to get their own back on the enemy for planting them. But that's when the farmer says no. And that's what's surprising about this parable. It's really not what you would expect. You'd expect the farmer to say, yes, get in there. Haul those weeds out as quickly as you can. But instead he says, no. Let the wheat And the weeds grow together until the harvest. That's when we'll have our reckoning, not now. Now, looking around at the farmers here, you're probably going, that's not good policy. And you might be right. But in this story, it seems to be God's approach. And if this story is about the wrong that's in the world and God's response to it, then what Jesus seems to be saying is that God is willing to play the long game when it comes to sorting this problem out, which begs the question, why? Well, in the parable, when the servants volunteer to take instant action and pull up the weeds, the farmer says, no, because as you gather the weeds, you might pull up some of the wheat along with them. And that makes a wee bit more sense when you realize exactly what kind of weed is being spoken about here. The weed that Jesus is talking about is called darnel, and it's an annual grass with a long, slender stem. looks very like wheat until the heads of both actually ripen. And once that has happened, it's easy to tell them apart, but before that, you could easily mistake the darnel for the real thing. And if you set out on an enthusiastic bout of weed pulling, before it's clear what is weed and what is wheat, you'd end up yanking out half of the good crop along with the bad. And it's not a huge step to see that that same principle might apply to dealing with what seems to be wrong in the world. Sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference between the good and the bad. And sometimes in pulling up what you think is a weed, you might actually be pulling up some wheat. 
Good Will Hunting is a film about a troubled young guy who works as a cleaner at MIT, a leading American university. And on the surface, Will is indistinguishable from the rest of the guys that he hangs around with. He's foul-mouthed, he's angry, he drinks too much, and he always ends up fighting, which gets him in trouble with the law. Take a look at him, even a long look, and you would be hard-pushed to classify him as anything other than a complete waste of space. A weed. But as the story progresses, we discover more about Will. As he's cleaning the corridors at MIT, he solves a mathematical puzzle that's written on a whiteboard outside a lecture theatre, a problem that none of the best students at MIT could solve. And the staff find out that he's the one who's solved it. And they come to realise in discussion with him that they have a mathematical genius in their hands. But his problem, and theirs, is that he hasn't got the social skills to do anything with his talent. He seems almost unmanageable, abusive, cynical, and manipulative. And it takes a counsellor, played by Robin Williams, a great deal of patience and pain to get beneath the surface of Will Hunting and help him come to terms with his awful and indeed abusive past so that he can begin to take some responsibility for his future. And by the end of the movie, things are beginning to turn around for him and we're starting to sense that some kind of redemption is possible in his life. It looked like he was troubled through and through, an outright weed, but patience and honesty and no little love revealed otherwise. And maybe that's part of the farmer's wisdom in this story. He's patient. He doesn't judge things too soon. Wait, he says. Let the wheat and the weeds grow up together until the harvest. And when the harvest comes, I will tell the reapers to collect the weeds and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Don't think for a moment that the farmer isn't bothered about having weeds in his field. He is. But he has his own plan for dealing with them. He's playing the long game. He's not into quick fixes. And Jesus wants us to understand that more often than not, this is God's way of dealing with the wrong in the world. In our cities, in our families, in our churches, in ourselves. As Peter reminds us in his second letter, God is patient with us, not wanting any of us to perish, but all to come to repentance. And he seems to be willing to take whatever time it takes to get there. It's not lost in me, and it never has been, that Jesus chooses to teach in parables. And parables are brilliant stories because they draw us in and they get us thinking. And that there, there are at least a couple of ways that we could think about this story today. We might take it in a very black and white way. It could be teaching that there are good people in this world, people who are in tune with God, and bad people in the world, people who aren't in tune with God, and the lesson then would be that the bad people will get a fiery comeuppance while the good people will be carried off into the barn and saved. And that's certainly one way of viewing it, maybe even the majority way throughout history. But if you're happy with those very watertight categorizations of good and bad people, you might like to think which you belong to, and if you're happy to see the bad consigned to that kind of fiery judgment, and you take that literally, it might be worth contemplating the fate of the good. Because if you follow the logic of the parable, literally, the ultimate fate of the wheat, the good, would be to be winnowed, crushed between millstones, pounded into dough, being placed in a roasting hot oven to become bread before being ripped apart, chewed on, and finally ground into mush between somebody's back teeth. Doesn't sound a whole lot better than the fiery furnace, I have to say. 
which says to me it's probably not wise to push biblical metaphors too far or take parabolic imagery too literally. I don't think that's how they're meant to be understood. On reflection, I wonder if today's parable is saying something a wee bit more like this. God has good intentions for the world and for each one of us. Because he's good, he wills good and fruitfulness for what he's created. But at the same time, there's a force at work that is seeking to disrupt and to spoil that good intention. And that force is at work in everyone. Call it sin, call it selfishness, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't really matter. The effects are the same. It produces weeds in our lives and in our world. We know this to be true. We see the consequences of it day in and day out. The good and the bad live cheek by jowl in the world, also within us. And that's what Paul says in Romans. He says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. The line, the fracture line between good and bad runs through every one of us, including those of us who profess faith. So how do we deal with these weeds? Well, we need two things. We need hope and we need help. And the hope that we have is that in the end, thanks to the finished work of Christ, God will finally weed out all that is wrong with his creation and see it put right again. In the end, God will be all in all, as Paul tells us. And everything that is not of God, that is not good, will finally go. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but one of these days there will be a reckoning and all that is wrong and godless will come to a final end it will be consumed and all that will be left will be the peace and the presence of God filling and blessing his creation that's our hope but in the interim we need help and that's what those who align themselves with Christ and submit their lives to him find help for now Help in dealing with the field of our own lives. Because we can't always discern what, uh, what's wheat and what is wheat, weeds within us. But the Spirit can. And it's as we let him do his work within us, showing us right from wrong, good from bad, that we begin to uproot the habits and attitudes of mind, heart, body and soul that stop us from being what we could and should be in Christ. The old word for that process is sanctification. In today's context, we might as well just call it weeding. Weeding. We can't wade into the field of the world trying to weed out the good people from the bad. That's what the servants in the parable want to do. And it's what the Pharisees spent a good deal of their lives trying to do. But that kind of judgment is way above our pay grade. There's more bad in the best of us and more good in the worst of us than any of us in this life will ever know. That kind of judgment belongs to God alone. But what we can do with the Spirit's help is something smaller but far more achievable. We can tend the field of our own lives and try to make them as weed-free and as fruitful as we can to the glory of God. I started this morning's sermon asking you to think about whether you're an optimist or a pessimist or maybe a realist when it comes to the way things are in our world. And after preparing for this morning, I'm beginning to think that I am all three at once. I'm pessimistic about the consequences of sin in our world and in my life. 
There's no doubt in my mind that the weeds of sin mess up everyone and everything. I can't shrug that off or pretend it away. And I'm realistic enough to admit that I am very much part of the problem, as are you. Because I know that the field of my own life is at best a mix of the good and the bad. But ultimately, I'm optimistic that things won't stay that way because God is at work. Ultimately, his creation will be liberated from everything that mars it and holds it back. And by his grace and with his help, we can taste a little bit of that liberation now as we carefully and prayerfully pull up the weeds in our own hearts and leave more room for God's good seed to grow. Amen. We're going to sing together once more, and it's hymn number 233. Come, you thankful people, come.
we're going to make our prayers for others just now, and uh, Laura Barron is going to read a prayer that was produced by Ali Cruikshank. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you will help us to keep the weeds out of our lives so that we can grow a good crop of wheat. As in our fields and gardens, it is so easy to let the weeds overgrow and take control, smothering the crops. In the same way, if we do not nurture our faith with prayer, devotion and worship, it can easily be smothered by doubt and self-indulgence. We pray that we don't judge the lives of other people, but instead offer love and encouragement to help them grow a good crop, so that in the end we can all have a rewarding harvest. Dear Father, after a tumultuous year, we give thanks for the favourable growing season in our area, which produced good yields with great harvesting conditions for most. We pray for the farmers that have not been so fortunate with drought conditions seriously producing their yields. We pray for farmers who have had to make the heartbreaking decision to stop farming because high feed and energy costs have made their businesses unsustainable. We pray for farmers around the world who are battling the effects of climate change. We pray for cotton farmers in India who have seen their crops decimated by high rainfall and insect infestation. We pray for farmers who feel undervalued or even persecuted who have embraced new technology and worked hard to produce more food for low prices, dictated by the supermarkets, but find themselves struggling to make a living while being accused of ruining the environment. Dear Lord, as farmers we give thanks for the great privilege it is to work with your creation and take great pleasure in seeing our crops grow and animals thrive in the environment we love and care for. Please help us to continue to improve our farming methods to sustain your amazing world. Amen. Thank you, Laura. Uh, I just want to add a couple of wee things to the, to the end of that prayer, so let's just continue in, in prayer now if we can. Father, I uh, want to lift before you our presbytery at this time uh, with the passing of the presbytery plan yesterday and all the, um, the necessary outworking of that within our presbytery and indeed uh, the bigger presbytery we're moving into in the new year. Lord, there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, there's a lot of um, concern about the way forward, and we pray that in all the discussions that will follow in the weeks and months to come, uh, that you will oil the wheels of all these decisions uh, with grace, that you will help people to listen, not merely to speak, and that in the end, we would come to the best possible solutions uh, for our congregation and for our future. Hear our prayers. And we remember too, uh, Rebecca Morton, uh, we thank you for uh, David and Rebecca's long ministry uh, in Africa and for the spell of retirement that they've had since returning to America. But we pray for Rebecca now as she's seriously ill in hospital. Uh, we pray for uh, her health. We pray that the treatment that she receives there would be uh, swift and effective and will help her to recover from her illness. Be with David and the rest of the family as they surround her with love and um, attend to her and be with the medics who are treating her. Give them wisdom and insight as to how best to help her in these days. And be with all within our congregation this morning who are uh, sore of heart because of uh, illness, concerns, worries or perhaps bereavement. Uh, may they know your presence with them in these days. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We close our worship now in our final hymn, hymn number 231, For the Fruits of All Creation.
And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.